You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Well, folks, it looks like ice climbing is on its last gasp here in Colorado. And hopefully, your masochistic tendencies have turned to joyful interaction at the cliffs. To that end, remember that Ure, Colorado has rock climbing, spring skiing access, and probably some gross dark gullies that stay frozen long after the rest of the mountains have given in to the happiness of summer. So if you end up in Ure, Colorado for any type of adventure this spring, or if you just want to go there to relax, remember that the Vsbaden offers affordable luxury with great rooms and brilliant hot springs, including that, wait for it, strange dark steamy underworld soaking experience more information at vspottenhotsprings.com that's vspottenhotsprings.com and for your information vspotten starts with a w we gotta get listen uh, uh where are you playing in town you, you playing here we're doing the uh the Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it's it out. Like I'll see. You really, really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes. And don't forget, you can go to bonfirecoffee.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is March 23rd, about 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, back here in Colorado. On today's show, episode 77 of the Enormacast, Lucky 77. Makes me laugh every time I mention how many episodes I've got out. It kind of blows my mind. As you guys know, this thing was not supposed to last so long. Anyway, on today's show, Killian... Fischhuber and Anna Storr, the Iron Couple. Boulders from Austria, World Cup, National, International, World Champion Boulders. And frankly, two of the most beautiful people I've ever met. Sitting across the table from them definitely made me think something terrible had happened in my upbringing. I want to thank uh, Bernardo Jimenez, the photographer from Cornadea, for hooking us up. It was his idea, and he put us in touch and then Anna and Killian were nice enough to uh, make it happen, even though they'd never heard of the Enorma cast or didn't know anything about me, who this American guy was that wanted to talk to him. But they were gracious, and it's a lively conversation, so I totally appreciate it. So yeah, I just got back from Spain. Five weeks there, I ended up extending my trip 10 days. What did I learn in Spain? A few things. First of all, the Spanish climbers can dirtbag like nobody I've ever met. There's a bunch of folks living in Cornadea in their vans or wherever they can find a place to sleep, doing everything possible to save money, not spend money, so they can just keep living the life and climbing as hard as they possibly can. It's pretty impressive, always inspiring. I think that major part of my life has passed, but it's still cool to see people so dedicated to it. And they're not even self-conscious about it. It's just the way they do it. They don't really advocate some sort of dirtbag existence. They just uh, live that way because it's normal. Also, I watched a lot of people of all different climbing levels try really hard in Spain. It's just part of the culture to get out there and get after it, no matter what the grade is, and very much approach it that you have to do your best every time you go to the crag and you do everything possible to make sure that happens. So it's pretty cool to be in a culture like that. Another thing that I'm thankful for anyway is the hospitality that I received while over there, I've got a bunch of friends living in country, and everybody opened their doors, put me under their roof, let me hang out in their vans, whatever it took uh, to make sure that my trip went really well. And I totally appreciate that after so many years in this sport. And I guess the lesson there is that anytime you guys have a chance to, 
open your doors, do whatever you can to make a traveling climber comfortable here in the States and make their trip go well, whether it's taking them climbing, whether it's letting them use a car you have, stay at your house, use your internet, get a shower, all those sorts of things, man, do it because it's going to come back to you. And after so many years in this sport, I barely can go anywhere without people offering me up places to stay, vehicles, food, booze, whatever it takes to make sure that my trip goes really well. And that's awesome. And that's really what is sustaining the travel Jones that I've had for so many years. So that was pretty cool. Everybody in Cornadea, my friends up in Girona, so nice to spend time with you. So nice to share your hospitality. And I totally appreciate it. Okay, last bit of business before we get to the interview. I will be at the Red Rock Rendezvous at the end of the week. This is going to come out, and uh, most of you will not hear this before. I'm already there. But if you do, I will have a live show on Friday night, the 27th, hopefully recording it. Last year I blew it, as many of you know. I think I've got it wired tighter this year, so I will try using a backup. Maybe that'll work. That even doesn't always work, though. I've lost a few things. Anyway, I've got three guests coming on the show. Andreas Marin from Ure Ridgeway area, guide down there, off with climber, ice climber, great guy, Colombian origin. He was actually on the show last year, the one that I dropped. So second chance with Andreas, looking forward to that. I also have Libby Souter coming up, climbed a lot in Yosemite. She either holds or held one of the speed records on the nose for fastest female ascent and just a general big wall badass and great climber and also kind of a world adventurer. She told me some great stories uh, one evening at the trade show. Made me excited to talk to her. Hopefully we'll do an interview, a longer one down the line. And finally, Ethan Pringle's coming back up. His episode's out right now, but uh, some stuff went down right after we recorded it. So we're going to do kind of a follow-up to his interview for a few minutes and uh, find out how his trip ended. A little spoiler, he sent his route but there was a lot more to it than that. So talk to Ethan a little bit more and that should be fun. Anyway, that's the show. It's probably too late. You're probably hearing this afterwards, but it was awesome, I'm sure. And if you didn't make it, like I said, hopefully I'll put it out as a podcast. All right, let's get to the interview. Killian Fishhuber, Anna Store, the Iron Couple, Austrian climbers, really nice down-to-earth folks. I really enjoyed talking with them, and I hope you enjoy listening. So here's something. Enormacast sponsor Black Diamond and the Access Fund have teamed up to launch The Rock Project, dedicated to sharing responsible outdoor climbing knowledge. You see that? That spells rock. Somebody was up all night thinking of that. What's more, they're bringing the show on the road with events coming up in Salt Lake City, April 10th through the 12th, and in New York City, May 1st through the 3rd. These events include presentations, clinics, Craig Care, and of course, a huge party. Black Diamond and the Access Fund want to foster responsible care for our climbing resources and community. So check out accessfund.org or blackdiamondequipment.com for details on the events, more info, and a little bit of beta about how to continue with style at the crags. So I don't really know where I am. Anna, can you tell me where I am, actually? <laughs> well, we're in the middle of nowhere, I would say. Yeah. It's The village is called Vilea Alta, and it's really small. Apparently, there are 100 inhabitants, but I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> so um, we are 30 minutes away from Margalef and 30 minutes from Siorana. Mm. So we're basically in the middle of those two climbing areas. Sure, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, Anna and Killian, Anna Store, mm -hmm. is that right? Yep, correct. Anna Store and Killian Fischhuber invited me up to uh, do an interview in their little flat here in, in Vieja Alta. Alta. Alta so. That's just above Vieja Baja. So if sure. you don't know where that is, just above Vieja Baja. <laughs> right, right. Of course. Yeah, I that's known. where it is. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me up here, you guys, and thanks for coming on the show. Uh, these two are two of the best boulders at this moment, probably in the world now. I mean, you've both won competitions, world competitions. I, I, I started reading about 
the all the different things, all the different lists, and I got sort of confused. So maybe you could place yourselves at this moment. Um, I think uh, we're a bit. How do you say? Like we're careful about saying that we're the best boulders. Okay, I said it. You so said it's it. okay. So so that's why I say we pay attention. Two of the best. You're <laughs> exactly. in there. Yeah. You're you're in there. You're in the mix, yeah. as we say. I mean, Anna for sure is one of the strongest rock climbers as well when it comes to bouldering. But like uh, f foremost, we're like the best competition boulders. You could say we have the best results. We, Anna has two world championship titles. I've won many world cups. And in comps, you can always say I was the best at this or that comp or Anna was the best at this or that comp. But in rock climbing, you can never really compare to other people. Sure. You can say you're among the better climbers of the sport, but the best I would avoid. Okay, great. Like I said, I said it. I want that on record <laughs> that you guys weren't pounding the table. Like, there are so I many. Greatest. Yeah, but there are so many strong people and... Mm -hmm. Many people who talk about themselves, but also strong people who never like write anything about their ascents or about their achievements. So I'm sure there are many strong people out there we don't even know about. No, it's it's that's just the world over with with rankings and with everything that we all know somebody who is our personal strongest climber yeah. we've ever seen, and mm -hmm. nobody knows about them. They have two kids. Yeah. They only mm -hmm. climb like yeah. I watched a guy at Monsant yesterday on site. You know. A B, I think it was, mm -hmm. just this monster 50 meter route. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend said, Oh, yeah, he's just a local good climber. You yeah, know? especially in Spain, I yeah. think it's amazing how many unknown climbers there are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let, let me ask you guys um, you, you're, Killian, your name came up in an interview with Cody Roth uh, quite a while ago, a couple of years ago, when we were talking about Austrian climbing, and you're both Austrian. Yeah. Um, and he actually mentioned something interesting to me is that there was a connection with the military with, with in terms of, of your bouldering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there still is a connection. Okay. That is like Jakob, who is still sleeping. Mm -hmm. Anna and me were all three part of the Austrian military, but part of the Austrian military sports department. Mm -hmm. So that means we don't have to do any military training or drills or fighting or shooting, but we're kind of sponsored by the Austrian military. It's a governmental thing. And we kind of get tax money paid as a regular salary. Okay. That's awesome. Did you get to shoot something? <laughs> That's the American question. Yeah. <laughs> On record, very American. Did you get to Usually everyone's like, oh my God, you're in the Did you have to Did you shoot have a gun? Did you have to wear a gun? Oh, did you have to carry a gun? You right. get to shoot Actually, we had to shoot a gun because we had to do military service for four weeks. Okay. Which was horrible and the most... The most horrible weeks of my life. Really? <laughs> yeah. What were you doing specifically? <laughs> well, you have to wear the green uniform, and you have to be among the other in a, in a um, how do you say military camp camp? Yeah, basically. like barracks for four weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then you go out and hunt. You play Just war, and sure. that's I don't know. Okay. I don't really like it. I don't like that concept. <laughs> do you have pictures of yourselves in the uniform? <laughs> yeah, but we you do. won't get them. <laughs> no way. It's a podcast, right? <laughs> Yeah, but I, you, you know. could describe them. <laughs> okay, they were green. I look horrible. Um, <laughs> actually, I think if you would look for them online, we once did a military comp in France somewhere, mm -hmm. and there's some Russian climbers as well, and Slovenian. Swiss, Slovenian and German climbers, all wearing their uniforms, and there are some really funny photos. Okay. So this is not something uniquely from Austria, but the sure. some countries do it. Some countries mm -hmm. in Europe mm -hmm. tend to have a system like this, how they like how they just fund their athletes basically mm -hmm. it's not only climbers of obviously in austria there are more only three climbers part of the this team and the rest is all olympic sports you three that you yeah. Yeah, in this house right now yeah. Yeah. we're okay. defending right. austria right now great awesome we're on duty i feel safe <laughs> yeah, i feel really good. safe actually <laughs> but the thing is i bet you carry a yeah. gun right now <laughs> no I can't, you can't get it on the plane oh. too otherwise yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> no, like the, the good thing is we are like we have health insurance. We, um, yeah, health insurance. We get a regular salary, and it's not a real military service. And Austria is neutral, so we won't ever ever get the chance, or not the chance, but the bad case that we would have right. to fight somewhere. Right. It's really a sponsorship that has the name of the military. Sure. It's more an etiquette mm -hmm. thing. And in general, it seems you know. Again, these differences between the U.S. and climbing scene and some other countries, 
um, like England or whatnot, is that a lot of these countries here, like Austria, they have a lot of different support um, for you guys as climbers in terms of associations and this military thing. Is that true? I think so, yeah. I, in some countries, it's really good. Like in Germany, I think it works out well. Switzerland, Austria, Slovenia. Mm-hmm. But there are countries like Italy, which has like so many strong climbers and a long history, even of world mm-hmm. champions and of really like really good climbers. And they like their problem is they don't have a good federation, mm-hmm. and their whole system of supporting the athletes doesn't work so well. So, I mean. We, there are still big differences in Europe. Right. Also for us, when we started out, climbing or competition climbing, it didn't like our federation wasn't strong at all and we didn't get any support. But over the years, since the results came in and a lot of things changed, it, everything got better and better. Mm-hmm. So now I think we have a really strong federation and um, we can take a lot of advantages out of it. But yeah, and we're lucky in what position we are right now but it's just not that it has always been that way sure it and has it probably won't last up. forever in terms of the two of you correct <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> thanks for pointing that out <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I mean I'm just saying like eventually you know there's other people coming yeah. up and, and, mm-hmm. and you know that happens mm-hmm. to everybody right in climbing so um, we'll get to that a little later You're, I watched a video where you had started talking about plan B um, so, <laughs> I won't but, hear that. <laughs> yeah, don't, maybe I won't push you on that. Um, depress you or whatever. So, but you, you guys are, are right now working, living, professional climbers, making ends meet, making it happen yeah. um, through competitions, through pro, are there like um, also private sponsorships from companies and things yeah. like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have our sponsors, like climbing related sponsors, or Anna sponsored by our bank with like the military thing. I'm mm-hmm. sponsored by Red Bull. And then we earn some money by competing and by like incentives. Like we get, let's say we win the overall World Cup mm-hmm. and we get incentives from our sponsors. Sure. Our federation doesn't pay us any money. Okay. The federation makes sure that we can go to the comps, get the flights, the hotels. We have a physio, we have a coach. Like we have training camps and we'll go to Fontainebleau the coming week. Right. So there are some really, really cool things going on. We have like a really good round package I would say sure yeah I mean it sounds like I mean similar to any climber where you're piecing all these different outlets together to kind of make a life that you can you can eat and and Mm -hmm. travel and and do your thing but you mentioned in that video the same problem I think any sponsored climbers or professional climbers have is that that's all working but you said oh but it's really hard to save it's really hard to kind of Mm -hmm. build a life out of it for after climbing so to speak I mean, is it that similar in that you're not getting rich doing this? Um, No, definitely not. But it always depends what your standard is, I think. Mm -hmm. And for now, um, I'm in a very good position, I would say. But obviously, once I stop being on the podium, let's say, then it'll get harder and more difficult. And um, yeah, that's why I think it's important to think about something else, too. Right. And you're both in university as well? Mm Mm-hmm. I stopped studying like last year. Okay. I finished my studies and I'll have to do a year of teaching from September on. Because okay. I'll teach in a high school. Okay. And I have to do this one year of apprentice. Uh-huh. And after that, I'll like climb full time on again. Okay. What did you study? Uh, we both studied uh, English uh-huh. as a subject and sports or physical. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Right. English, like the language, not the... Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, in the States, if you, the say you study English, you, you um, know it's literature. Mm-hmm. No, <clears> like for I us have a degree language. in English mm-hmm. okay. lit, so... But it's literature as well. Mm-hmm. It's like we study, like, like the English canon, the American canon, and then, like, overseas. Like, we do a lot of literature. It's included in the curriculum, yeah, sure. but afterwards because we'll be teachers, so we'll, we'll teach the language English to okay. our students. Yeah. Oh, cool. So that's the main... Yeah. That you guys, your English is awesome, which is one of the reasons I was like, I'll do this. You want more tea? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> you guys have an American accent at all that you can do? We've just been to the Red, so <laughs> we should I be able to do the Southern said, accent. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I don't understand. It's hard to understand, either. though, the folks at the Red. Yeah, well, yeah, for everyone, actually. <laughs> but they're really funny. Yeah, no, it's a great the, place. The guy from the beer trailer, uh-huh. really entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> when were you in the red? Um, October. October. Oh, okay, cool. Handyman. 
Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, and so you guys are known really, like you said, for bouldering, but you, you're both all-around climbers, no? Yeah. I yeah, we really so. enjoy mm-hmm. all the aspects of climbing. Mm-hmm. Not the alpine aspects, I would say, but the alpine sport climbing, sport climbing, mm-hmm. bouldering, traveling. Mm-hmm. When I was 16, I only bouldered for five years, and somehow it... I was missing something. I mean, not at the time, but for me, it's important to also do some sport climbing just Mm -hmm. because, yeah, I like it a lot. And I also like bouldering, so why not combine it? And, you know, the the whole image, I think that, I mean, we all have each country and each culture and each society, uh, climbing culture has the imagery that goes with it. The British are, you know, climbing short, scary things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, us Americans, we're climbing our cracks. You know, and I think for us anyway in the U.S., the image in Austria is obviously the Alpine. Like, yeah, that's I mean the Alps and mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Uh, but that would apply for like Italy, Switzerland, right? France. No, all of them, yeah. absolutely. Well, France, we we have the old sport climbing image. Okay, that's that. where it began. <laughs> yeah, the drop knee. Yeah, and the the Patrick. The blow. Yeah, yeah the French blow. Yeah. Okay. Did the French know we call it the French blow? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure if they, they would might understand. Think it's else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, so that is in the, the Alpine is, is like a different concept, but, um, you, you're also, I mean, I saw some pictures also going around the world, track climbing and, and doing some bigger stuff. Yeah. Track climbing. I have just little experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been to Indian Creek last year and I've done some track climbing, but mm-hmm. I'm not a track climber. Oh, okay. really. No. I just saw some pictures from Jordan, actually. Yeah, we went with friends, but actually okay. our really good friend, Hans Auer, he's a really good alpinist, and sure. he helped us and showed us, and it was oh, cool. a good experience, and I wanted to do more about like this, but I'm not a track climber, I've just tried it. Right, right. And I've done some sport, alpine spot climbs, but for me, it's still spot climbing more. Mm-hmm. It's in the Alps and high altitude, but it's... It's not really alpine. It's with bolts. Sure, sure, Clark. So I really like that, and um, I want to like do more like that. But um, the real alpine stuff without protection, I'm not so right. Sure, if it's my thing. Well, I mean, I think there's a pretty common transition in terms of. I mean, you guys need to focus mm-hmm. now, right? To to stay in shape and to train and mm-hmm. to be in these. You don't have time to split your. Your training and oh, I'm going to learn this now and I'm going to go here. But I think most climbers, it seems like eventually they do want to mix mm-hmm. in as much as they can as, as their career sort of goes through its different stages. Yeah, I think that's why climbing is so unique because it has so many different facets. You can do or so many different aspects of the sport. Mm-hmm. So, and if you enjoy doing them all, why not? Right. And actually, we like our comp season always lasted for like four months plus two months training. So half of the year we always traveled, tried to see new stuff, yeah. live outside the box, you know, did different stuff also, mm-hmm. not just bouldering or training in a gym. So we had a really diverse, like, last 10 years, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So um, in terms of the culture, you, and both on your websites, you know, I did a little sort of 10 minutes of research that I usually do for these sorts of things. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, you guys talked about, this climbing with friends like you you, it was really important it seemed like that you made that clear like that's what climbing is for you and I think that is important because again like when Americans at least we we think about these federations and you know these this hardcore training we sort of imagine just like you know 12 hours a day (laughs) in some gray dark you know gym just yeah that's what i enjoy oh yeah really okay (laughs) but you know you talked about this culture of climbing in austria you've been to the u.s you've been around the world what do you is there things you could say that are unique about um about your community or do you think there's more stuff that's universal about what the way you guys approach climbing in austria and the way your Mm. friends and all of you do your thing there well, I think, as you said, Austria has like this alpine style image. Um, well, in the town where we come from, it's Innsbruck. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of the Alps and there's a big climbing scene and people climb in all different um, aspects. Yeah, fields. I mean, fields, yeah. They cl- like they do multi-pitch, alpine style, whatever, bouldering, um, yeah, everything. And I think one difference is that there's a lot of respect towards all this aspects of climbing because everyone is or in my opinion 
a lot of people respect what the other do, mm-hmm. what the others do. It doesn't matter if you're enjoying competitions or um, bouldering or sport climbing, whatever. Um, it's just everyone is okay with it, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Everyone knows that also competition climbers climb a lot outside. It's not only tearing down on plastic. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a climber after all. And you think that's unique or you, th- you see like a, more of a division elsewhere? Um, obviously, there's always a lot of division also in Boulder, I would say, for example. Mm-hmm. In the States, there are also yeah different climbers. But yeah, I don't know. I think in Innsbruck, everyone understands that after all, we're all climbers. Right. I'll say that I think that that is something that might be different because, I mean, a lot of people have that attitude, but there is a lot of sort of, you know, tread climbers on, you know, mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. sport climbers are w- wimpy. And mm-hmm. at least in the U.S., that's like a, a big division between yeah. the two, you know. And then the indoor-outdoor thing is also a, quite a divide, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's coming closer. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like one of the things is that we in the U.S. are like, a little bit behind on the development of our indoor climbing and our gyms and it seems like something that's been going on in Europe a lot longer. Yeah, I think there like the comp scene is is bigger in Europe and competing has much more value and I think it's something that builds up over time. I mean there's although it's just rock climbers see that we make money from competing, we still climb a lot on rock, we do first ascents, we mm-hmm. do hard boulders, we travel, we have our really nice life. And we compete. Right. And I think that maybe in the States, people think, ah, you're a competitor that... Competition climber. You're a competition Mm -hmm. climber that is like in the opposite direction than a rock climber. But it's not. It's just a part. It's just a a variation of climbing. It doesn't exclude the other. Yeah. Right. And I think in the States, it will take more time until people say, ah, he's good in competing, but he's just a rock climber as everyone else. Right. So... Um, and I hope that this will happen at, like, like in the near future because right now there are just a few com- competition climbers in the States who are really good worldwide and and it's really hard for them like to get their traveling paid to like to get support from their federation and also to get recognized in the end yeah because in the States it tend to have or like it seems as if it would have the image of, or you're, oh, you're just a comp climber. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, for example, Alex Puccio, she's making a lot of effort. She's climbing really well. and I mean, now she's really strong on rock as well, so course, she will yeah. always be a more the strong rock, rock climber. But it doesn't exclude the other. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, that, I mean, that's one thing I kind of wanted to ask you guys about is that in my experience, and I've been climbing for 25 years, and... The competition climbing in the states, I, I've seen it kind of, sort of ebb and flow, mm-hmm. kind of, but it just never seems to, I mean, grab hold of of our imagination in the states. And the, I think in the last few years there's been another surge, mm-hmm. but it's not is it's not that big of a part of our climbing culture. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the competitions involve. You know, the spectators are other competitors or other people who, mm-hmm. who do the sport, but mm-hmm. not that wide of an audience. And, of course, we see these competitions in, in, the, uh, in Europe that have hundreds, even thousands of spectators. And obviously people who are not climbers that are like, this is really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that really doesn't happen in the States, yeah. I don't think. But there's been this World Cup in Vail every year now since eight years, I think, and it has always been one of the best World Cups in the season. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So there were, like, a lot of people, like, I think the 5,000 people was the record. It, it was always during the Teva Mountain Games in sure. Vail. Mm-hmm. So there are many climbers who go there. Denver isn't too far. Then there are all these people from the other events. Right. And it was a big show, and Daniel won it once, you know, Daniel Woods, and it was... Amazing! It was thrilli- thrilling, and mm-hmm. you would think that people would crave for more events like that. But obviously, it's hard to organize them. I mean, they always cost a lot of money. But I've always asked myself, why is it that like all these strong climbers in the states don't do more competitions? And I think it, it is it just doesn't count as much for them. But I think mm-hmm. they could be good competitors mm-hmm. and be the same strong rock climbers. It's, sure, they could combine it as we do it. I mean, we do lots of comps, maybe too many. But we also do lots of hard rock climbs, and there's so much time over the year. And if you compete just like for four months out of the 12, 
it's easily combinable. You know, you talk about Danny Woods and stuff. He, you know, he's one of these guys like you that I think has crossed over mm-hmm. quite well. Obviously, yeah, he won the World Cup, right? Yeah. Won World Cup and 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 climbs outdoors and Alex and mm-hmm. um, so I, I and I agree with you that there is it is slowly becoming um, something more of a of a a scene in 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 uh, the United States. And the other problem is I'm old and so I I I'm like. <laughs> It wasn't. It didn't exist when I started climbing. So I have this perspective that everyone else isn't interested in it either. But that's stupid because they obviously are. I mean, they they just broadcast the the ABS nationals and and you know in real time on. Okay. And I, I think a lot of people tuned in. I mean, I saw a ton of stuff about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are things are growing. Yeah. But it's so cool. It's such a nice aspect. Everybody can test oneself against the others. If you don't like it, you just don't compete. But it's not that you have to say, ah, oh, it's nothing, or it's not really good, or it's just plastic. It's just a fun aspect of it. And it's not that we go there and, like, are really aggressive and are like gladiators in there. We're still friends and we're having fun. And the mm-hmm. comp, like a boulder comp, can be so much fun. I want to actually talk to you guys a little bit about your lives. You guys are a couple. You met in bouldering comps, is that right? Yeah, and through other comps and climbing. Mm-hmm. How long have you been uh, traveling together, living in this life together six and a half years okay so pretty solid this is the the (laughs) crucial seventh year actually is that that, that some some sort of mythological (laughs) yes is there any we'll see anything you want to to talk about (laughs) half a year (laughs) i'm here to help if you guys want to get something (laughs) off your chest right now We'll do a little, Group therapy. Yeah, we'll do a little therapy <laughs> session on the Normacast. Perfect. So, um, well, let's talk about, I mean, you, you guys then climb together. You're often in the same competitions. Um, so you spend a lot of time together. And we, we actually have talked a lot on, uh, on the Normacast about guy, girl, men, women, relationships and climbing and the good parts and sometimes the bad parts. Um, do you guys sort of take advice well from each other? In terms mm-hmm. of climbing? It depends, I would say. For me, it really depends on the timing. Sometimes I can take advice from Killian, and sometimes I can't. I mean, and usually in a relationship, it's the worst thing to give advice. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. I was wondering. If you avoid it, it's the best advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so what does that look like? Do you guys end up spending time apart, or do you end up spending most of your time together in terms of traveling? In We've terms spent of a lot of time together, for sure. Yeah. But this season, Killian won't compete. So it'll change and it'll be the crucial seventh year. We'll yeah. see how that goes. <laughs> no, but so far, like we've been training together, and and it's not that I look what Anna does and and look out for mistakes or things that I'd say you should improve on this or that. But it's we bother together. We try to do our best, and we kind of motivate each other and say, "Come on, you can do this again." And yeah, let's do one more training session before this or that. So it's. We help each other and sometimes I'm not so motivated and sometimes Anna is not so psyched and then it helps to, you know, keep the balance, get each other going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially in Innsbruck, there are so many people who train at the same time at the same gym. So whenever you go there, you find people who show you some boulders and get you. It's never just the two of us, basically. Yeah. Sure. I mean, obviously we go climbing together, but then there are so many other people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Anna climbs with the girls, I climb with Jakob yeah. and the other boys and... It's so. always really fun to actually train there. So you you have traveled kind of around the world, um, not just competing, but on your own personal trips. Mm-hmm. What it looking across the, the spectrum of the last few years? What are some of the highlights of the places that you've climbed, and some of your favorite favorite places that you've been? That's a very tough question for me because there are so many great areas all around the world, and um, yeah, I couldn't just point out one of them. Mm. it's like I don't know in Australia the Grampians are amazing in the States Bishop is amazing the Red is great mm. there are so many good climbing areas everywhere I just like to visit them all yeah there are so many great places but like traveling wise and country wise I think for both of us it was Israel it was one of the greatest trips I've ever done because the people the culture and the like the conflicts there with the Palestinians and Palestinians and you feel the pressure in the air kind of Mm -hmm. when you travel through Israel people with guns everywhere but then still people our age and students and school kids playing around so it's there's so much 
going on in Israel. What does the climbing look like there? Were you on a climbing trip mm-hmm. or were yeah. you on? Some yeah, other we were on a trip, trip last um, after Christmas last mm-hmm. year. The climbing is actually it's good. quite good. Yeah, they mm-hmm. have a couple of cliffs. The problem is that you can only climb in winter because otherwise it'll get too warm. Sure. Or in summer, it's way too warm. But, um, but yeah, they yeah. actually have a climbing scene. But it's hard to. They can't always bolt um, the cliffs because. Yeah, yeah some of the areas are on Palestinian land. Okay. And Israelis sometimes are not allowed to enter some of the areas or zones. They're restricted from their own government. And then they would run into troubles, of course, if they meet, like, farmers. Right. <laughs> and we had to, like, pass some tanks and cross some fences. And we parked in, in a kibbutz and then had to walk out of it. And it's really tricky. I mean... We had a local guy like Or Wexler. He helped us out a lot, and without mm-hmm. him, we wouldn't have climbed anything. But mm-hmm. he showed us some secret places and some nice sport climbing areas, and it was really it was a, a experience. rich experience. Mm-hmm. And then we visited Jerusalem at the we have still on the Western Wall, and mm-hmm. the, when when you hear the Muezzin on the one side, and then you hear the the Jews singing on the other side, and everything builds up. It's like <laughs> it's a melting Pretty pot. Intense. It's really. Well, it's it's pretty interesting that the, that the the conflict there, you know, is so present in the climbing. If you if you have like these borders that you have to yeah. cross to go climbing, and some people can go and some people can't. I wouldn't, you know, you we have a tendency to think like climbing is all above all that, and mm-hmm. but yeah, here you are in this place mm-hmm. where it's directly affecting the yeah. climbing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's yeah, really interesting to see. Did it feel dangerous to go out into these places? No, never actually. No, no. The tanks, no problem. No. It's weird to see them, obviously, on the road, but you never feel. I mean, right. this the concept of of guns and fences and walls and armed people and armed mm-hmm. vehicles is a completely different one than to one we are used to in Europe. Sure. Yeah, I mean, Austria, even for Americans, every, yeah. it would be what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but for us even more, I think if you mm-hmm. see a gun, it's always I always feel a little bit unsafe right. somehow. Also in the States, I remember when we were in Wyoming, we were having coffee and then this guy walked in with his little girl in his hands and he just had a gun in his belt and sure. I just felt it was so weird for me because I wasn't used to it. You mm-hmm. won't see and that in Yeah, Europe in the States anywhere. it's just normal, but in well, for us... In well, Wyoming, it was hold on. It's, as much as the as much as we have this image, for people to walk around openly carrying weapons is actually really weird in the states too. Okay. Like, but I think in Wyoming you have, have to, to show the gun. You can't yeah, hide yeah, it, you, so you, you have to. You have wear to have a permit openly. to have mm-hmm. a concealed yeah. weapon. You can yeah. carry an open weapon, but like you'll see it in in some rarely rural places in Wyoming. Um, although in Colorado too, there's been these mm-hmm. protests now where mm-hmm. people are doing it on purpose to because they're like kind of gun nuts. Mm-hmm. But it actually it's it's would be strange like in my town and everyone there would get really uncomfortable yeah. too. So it's not quite like yeah, yeah. Like, hey, nice gun, oh yeah, check it out. It's, it's just a, it's just a yeah. contrast somehow. Yeah, I mean, totally. we saw it in Israel, but we also saw yeah. it in the yeah. states. And it's interesting and to see it's this is one aspect of traveling yeah. mm-hmm. that you see different cultures and it's mm-hmm. not so much about criticizing or pointing fingers it's wow that's different and right. oh mm-hmm. we don't have that and that's enriching your trip yeah. in a way mm-hmm. I'm just trying to like I'm, I started it earlier by asking if you got shoot yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you always yeah. coming back to this issue yeah, and, and I know but yeah. I, like at the same time you know I travel the world and everybody's like how many guns do you have it's so, like mm-hmm. that's the first question when yeah. we we do have lot, lots of guns but like I said, if I walked into like a coffee shop in, in Carbondale and there was mm-hmm. someone, everybody in the place would be like, why does that guy have a gun? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's kind of a similar thing. Um, some some communities, were you guys in Lander? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not unusual up there, for sure. And I'm sure there's Lander people going like But it's a cool place. But we really red. enjoyed Lander. Yeah. It was really amazing, actually, to be in Lander. Yeah, I, have, I, I love, I, I go up to the festival every year mm-hmm. and have a bunch of friends up there. Um, it's a super cool town. Yeah. So, um, when when were you guys there? 2012. 11. Uh, 11? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Was the Wolf Point in, in the, uh, developed yet? Mm, I don't think so. We climbed at the... No, we climbed the Wild Iris. Wild Iris and the one thing, the shelter, what is it? Like this ah, one yeah. piece of rock that's fallen 
Oh, in the, the canyon. Oh, the sweat lodge. Yeah, sweat, sweat lodge. lodge. Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, they've developed a whole new cliff with um, mm-hmm. a bunch more hard climbing on mm-hmm. it cool. that, that everybody's nice. been raving about. Um, it's and, kind of a big hike, but uh, there's a lot of hard hard routes on it that cool. people have said are and really excellent. Right? Um, Isn't there some new bouldering? New Jamie has developed. Yeah, exactly. Lot, yeah. yeah, so maybe it's time to go back. Yeah. That's a good climbing yes. scene. Yeah. Seemed like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat, and it's you know, it's uh, a little dot in Wyoming that is a little bit different, but there's still all the cowboys and <laughs> um, the rest of Wyoming. Like, yeah, there's it, it has a different feel. Lander does because mm-hmm. the climbers are there. They've yeah. changed it just a little bit, I think, and um, because of Todd Skinner's influence and trying to mm-hmm. do these festivals and kind of make everyone get along. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of places in the states where the climbers and the locals. There's too too wide of a gap mm-hmm. culturally where it doesn't sort of work as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, down south can be a problem like that with mm-hmm. the with the local folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jimmy told me some nice stories. <laughs> Who did? Jimmy Webb. Oh right, right. Because he's probably tromping around and he he had, had to be walked out of a private property with a gun in his back. Yeah. But then he said he was a really nice guy actually, and he <laughs> made friends, friends with him. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I Just would, get past I, the gun. Yeah. I would die immediately. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad you guys have had all these experiences in the United States. Um, so if I had to force you to, 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 to and you're not going to want to do this, but if you had to only boulder in one place for the rest of your life, where would it be? Easy. Blow. Fontainebleau. Yeah. Fontainebleau. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're headed there today, right? Today, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm not a boulder, which, again, the show, everyone knows this because I talk about it all the time. Um, <laughs> but the one place I did, like, really love bouldering was in Font. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think cool. everyone, yeah. I think everyone would enjoy it to climb in Fontainebleau. Yeah. If the weather is good. If it's not foggy or rainy. Right. Yeah, we had <laughs> nice amazing. weather. It was pretty chill, but clear. Um, but we just like the fun thing about it was that was the circuits like it's mm-hmm. just so cool to yeah. it, I always say it's like an easter egg hunt when you're trying to like find mm-hmm. the different little numbers and stuff yeah. it's so cool to roam for the forest and mm-hmm. find your own boulders or yeah. find the circuit boulders it's so yeah. cool plus I thought the, the climbing was very um, at least the stuff I was able to climb on was very uh, finesse oriented mm-hmm. like you, yeah. you don't You aren't just like very crying sure. and screaming and throwing for things, yeah. but mm-hmm. you find just a subtle way, and all of a sudden, it sounds cliche, but it's like unlocked mm-hmm. the puzzle mm-hmm. by sh- shifting a hip or just some yeah, totally. movement of the mm-hmm. yeah of the body also makes such a big difference. In blow, you can't force it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't pull it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing to pull on. Yeah, and so I think for me that like my lack of power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what the problem is with bouldering for me is it, it I was able to overcome that a little mm-hmm. bit and like and and sort of not feel quite as uh, big a failure actually mm-hmm. yeah. usually what happens <laughs> when I go bouldering yeah but in blow you shouldn't like ever focus on the on numbers the because 6B can be so hard sure and then you think you've climbed 8A and you can't pull off a 6B it just <laughs> doesn't matter if you like a boulder you just try to solve it mm-hmm. you did answer that thanks because uh Yeah, I thought maybe you'd be like, there's none. They're all great. Um, or home, right? Bouldering at home. Mm-hmm, the gym. Yeah. The dungeon. Yeah, in the dungeon. <laughs> the great dungeon without light. <laughs> so let's um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the plan B. You guys are, you, you mentioned a minute ago or a little while ago, like this all works, you know, as long as you stay on the podium and that sort of thing. Um, we talked a little bit about transitioning to maybe other types of climbing but um what do you guys think that the the sort of long-term thing looks like for you getting past year seven um, (laughs) is yeah i know that's the priority at this moment but what about year eight year ten you know what what does the life of a climber look like after things kind of settle down with the competitions and things like that it's hard to say i mean i tried to transition to climb outside a lot but um, I think it'll be more harder to get sponsorships mm-hmm. and to get money out of it so I'll see if I uh, will be able to climb that way 
but my plan B is definitely to be a teacher mm-hmm. one day. So, yeah, I can climb as long as it works and then be a teacher at one point. That's the backup. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. Right. We could always work like half-time. Like full-time teacher in Austria means you'll teach with our subjects like, what is it, 22 hours a week. So if you do half-time, let's say it's 11 or something around 10. And and that gives you a lot of time for climbing. And also you've got lots of holidays, like two months off in summer, mm-hmm. a week in fall, a week or two in Christmas, a week semester change. Sure. So teachers are known for us people who like their leisure time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a way how you can combine a great hobby then right. with... Uh, Uh, let's say a proper job sure which might be uh, the plan B right in the future not in the next two or three years sure. but let's say five plus or right. more years I mean there's other ways to like uh, besides you know these podium placements to keep you know the climbing sort of sponsorships and all that sort of thing alive I mean all sorts of climbers transition out to you know adventure climbing or Not not alpine, but these big trips traveling to do sport climbing elsewhere, and and I mean it seems possible to mm. to push it. Is that is that a sort of an option in Austria? I mean, a lot of our sponsored climbers aren't are none of them are really competition oriented, mm. or not many of them. And the thing is, in Austria, it's such a small country, and if you say I'll do a short story in this or that magazine, like how many people are going to read it and you're not really making money out of it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the States, if you have a good photographer and you're in National Geographic, it's a, like a worldwide audience. Sure. You can't compare that. The market is so yeah. much bigger in the States. So we have been traveling. <clears throat> I've been to Zimbabwe, India. We've been to Israel, Jordan, so many places around the world. And it's always been for us, you know, to travel. Mm-hmm. And if there was the possibility to make a little travel story about it, we did. But that's not what we want to do the next 20 years. Sure. Travel to make a living. Right. We want to travel for to ourselves. travel right. and to have fun and climb. And not to have to make a headline while you're on a climbing trip. Right. Uh, for me, that concept wouldn't work. No. Uh-uh. Yeah, we're not used to that. We've no. never done it. We've always competed, had good results, and that paid off for the sure. rest of our year you know mm-hmm. and if and you compete you can say I'm, I was the best at this or that comp mm-hmm. and the rest is not so important nobody really says you have to climb line B or an MB plus sure on the other hand we are just competition climbers you know what people think of us but on the other side again we we're fine with that I mean we, we can still make a living and we travel probably more outside on more different countries than so many people who just rock climb in the United States I was a teacher actually Yeah. Uh, yeah, for five years. It doesn't pay very well. There's there's sort of this culture of claiming, you know, this that cl- that teachers are really important and they they bring up the youth and mm. and then at the same time nobody wants to actually pay them mm-hmm. well. So can you? I mean, is is teaching sort of a thing that that is like a normal, well-paying career in in a place like Austria? Career is the wrong word, but it's a normal, well-paid job. Yeah. 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 But it's nothing with career because you'll start as a teacher and end as a teacher. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, if you have a regular job with career, obviously your salary will be higher than a teacher. Sure. But it always depends on your standard and what you want to, what but, you're aiming for. Yeah. But teaching also is a governmental job and this has a lot of benefits. Sure. Health insurance is better. You can like do sabbaticals. You can do one year off and work three years, you know, and get only 80%. a certain percentage of your wage. You can just say, oh, I'm take a year off. And everybody will say, okay, no problem. Right. You're back the next year. So teaching has lots of benefits in Austria. And it's for people who like to do other things then, or besides their job, it's the perfect uh, choice section. Well, cool. Let me ask you one more thing. And this is also a hard question. <laughs> but uh, we'll finish up with this. So, you know... A lot of times I talk on these things about how people started climbing and, and where they came from and, th- and things like that. And we didn't really get to that, but that's fine. But if I could ask you the one question is why climbing? Like, what is it about it that captivates you, that drew you into it to begin with and continues to sort of motivate you? Like, why climbing? I think it's a very social sport, even if it's not a team sport. It's always, um, for me, it is about being out there with friends. 
and um, also that it has so many different aspects. I mean, it never gets boring. You can go bouldering, sport climbing, whatever, but also within bouldering, there's always different movements. It's just never the same. Sometimes I don't know. It's shady, cold. You're sitting in front of a three meter high pebble. Sure. And there's such an easy way from the back, but we're still trying to do the roof, which is useless. Right. And on the other side of the valley, there's sunshine and people are having fun. <laughs> and then I ask myself why. But then still it draws you to do it. I don't know. You can't just turn around and say, let's go to the sun. You still stay in the shade and try solving your problem. I don't know. Sometimes you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> can't stop. I know. 25 years. Wrecked hands. Yeah. Can't stop. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. Thanks for sitting down. It, it was a real pleasure. And, and um, like I said, I, I hopefully that folks in the States will be uh, interested in hearing about what it's like to climb in Europe and, and to be professional climbers and and you guys' names get out there a little bit more. So, Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. That was me working hard on my vacation for you guys. Actually, I got a bunch of good stuff while I was in Europe. I was stalking the greats as best I could. Hopefully not being too annoying. But yeah, I got some really good stuff. So look forward to that coming up, expanding out of my little Colorado-centric realm over there in Europe. So ooh, I want to tell you who's on, but I don't want to spoil it. So you'll just have to wait. All right, if you enjoy listening to the Enormacast, if it helps you get through your day, if it helps you get down the road, if it helps you sit out that storm in a tent, please consider donating or at least helping out. Head over to normacast.com, click on the Help Out tab. A bunch of stuff you can do to help the podcast continue to drown the world in frothy climbing spray. Okay, that brings us to the end of the show. You know what I'm going to say now. I'm going to say what I always say. I'm going to tell you to check your knot. But many of you probably wonder, do I walk the walk? Does Chris Calusa of the Normacast check not only his knot, but his partner's knot every time he climbs? I want to assure you that I do. And in fact, while I was in Spain, I checked the knots of some of the best climbers in the world. Honestly, I made them let me look at their knot. Nobody's going to die on my watch, at least not from a fucked up knot. And even when it was some unrecognizable, ridiculous bowling, I at least asked them to look at it and make sure they'd done it right before they left the ground. That's right, folks. Even when it comes to superstars, you better check their knot. Did you ever think that maybe there's more to life than being really, really, really ridiculously good looking?